episode six, we're talking optometry. I'll give you my five-step method that you need to use whenever making a change in your office. We have a new segment called Cold Start. So I'll tell you some of the mistakes I made early on. So hopefully you don't make them when you start your practice. We'll talk myopia management. And I got a funny story how optometry and my intensity don't necessarily mix. Here we go. Welcome to Optometry, the ultimate OD podcast, building better doctors one episode at a time. Here's your host, optometrist and practice owner, Dr. Nick Lilly. All right, my friends, episode six, let's get after this. One of the biggest challenges I see going from doctor to business owner is you have to see the big picture. When you're a doctor, it's easy. Your patient comes in, you diagnose the problem, you take care of it. When you're a business owner, you have a lot of different variables going on. You have to consider the patients, the staff, the doctor, and then the business itself. So what I'm going to do is give you my five-step process to make decisions in the office, how to implement change or implement something new. So we're going to go through this. I'm going to kind of give you the process, break it down for you, and then I'm going to actually show you how I'm applying this into my office currently. All right, so to start off, the first thing that we have to do is set goals. What do you want to accomplish? What is the purpose of the change or why are you implementing something new? All right, remember, you have to consider those four things I spoke about. Is this going to make it better for the patients, the staff, the doctor, and the office? If one of those things is lacking, the other things better be really good or you need to reconsider. If one of those things isn't as good or it's not helpful to them, it's not gonna last, it's not gonna work out, all right? So set your goals. The next thing you have to do is, what do you want to delegate? Who is gonna help you implement this thing? You can't do it yourself. There has to be buy-in from everyone, especially your staff, all right? So you have to pick the people that have the skills and abilities to do what you want. So that kind of goes into with my third one is, you know what you wanna delegate, you have the staff to do it all right that's the third thing you need to look at so one set your goals two what do you want to delegate number three do you have the staff you have to be able to know their skills their motivation and how does it benefit them because if it doesn't benefit the staff they're gonna push back and you're gonna stop you're gonna fall through it's gonna fall short all right the next thing you need to do is make sure you're willing to implement this change Whenever I go to a conference, it's filled with ideas. It's always fun. You learn a lot and you are energized. The presenters, they, what they always say to me or what they say at each one, I feel like is 90% of what you hear here will not be implemented. The 10% of what you try to implement will fail within the first month because you get pushback from the staff or the doctor's not committed to it or the office manager's not willing to go forward with it. So you have to be willing to implement the change. Some things you have to remember when you're doing that is, are you able to give feedback? Can you give clear expectations to your staff or your manager, whoever's implementing the change? Do you give them structure and guidance? So when you make a change, you can't just say, this is what we're doing. You have to be able to follow through with it. And the last thing is you have to have checks and balances. How do you know if it's successful? How do you know if it's working? How do you know if it's time to pull the plug and go back to what you were doing? So find a way to give yourself a criteria. I like to think more in the short term, weeks to months versus years, okay? If you get years, you're gonna get tired, you're gonna get fatigued, you're gonna fall short. So try have incremental things that you can do to 
give you feedback if it's working or not. So that's the five-step method. It's pretty simple when you look at it. When you put it into practice, it's a little more complicated. It's a little more involved. And I'm going to kind of show you that with what I'm doing at my office. Okay, so let's get into the real world of this, the real world application. I've been very blessed. I started cold in 2011, and we've been growing every year. It feels awesome. You know, as an office, your goal, what they tell you is per doctor, you want to be the million-dollar office. Again, that works really well if you run efficiently. If you're not running efficiently, who cares if you do a million? I'd rather be an 850K office and run that efficiently than gross a million but be running with too many staff or whatnot. So we've grown and grown. We're getting to that point where we're approaching that million dollar mark, which is amazing. But something that I always lean on and what I've heard is what got you here won't get you there. So I'm hitting that point where I need to stop being so involved with the day-to-day operations, coaching the staff, putting in my uh, policies, procedures, and start thinking big picture. So step one of the process is setting your goals. Well, I want to see patients in primary care two days a week, and I want to do myopia management two days a week. In order to do that, I need to make sure that my office is running just how it is now without me being so involved. In order to do that, I need more help from my office manager, right? My office manager has been with me since for the past five years, so she's seen the ups, the downs, we've grown. She started off as my best optician and then kind of evolved into the position. Kind of like me when I first started, this is my baby. I love my office. I love every aspect of it. I'm a little too tied into it, a little too invested. Just like her, the things she used to do, going into optical, scheduling patients, adjusting and dispensing to patients when they're picking up their glasses, that is below her pay grade but she's good at it. She can do it better than some of my other staff. And she's still stuck in being that awesome employee versus the manager. I'm stuck in micromanaging versus being the CEO of the office and growing it to where I want it to be. So between the two of us, we need to move into our actual roles and get our staff to be better at helping us in the day-to-day operations. So I gave you my goals. What do I want to delegate? I talked to my office manager and I said, I need three things from you. One, I need you to write down everything you do day to day. What are you in charge of? What are you monitoring? What do you do? All right, I'm going to do the same thing. We're going to compare notes. The second thing I need you to do is tell me what are the minimal requirements of a staff member to work here? What do they need to know? Just bare minimum to do the job. Again, I'm going to do the same thing. We'll compare notes. And the last thing I wanted to do is take an overall census of our staff. What is each member good at? What are they bad at? What's their motivation, their strengths, their weaknesses? What can they do to help us expand? So we wrote down those three, three things, and we're going to compare notes. All right. Our goal is to find everything we're doing that she's doing, and how can we give that to the rest of the staff? What do we expect our staff to do? Are we asking too much or too little of them? And then the last thing is, what staff members need coaching? What staff members can jump right in and help us out? We're in that process. It's still evolving. The next step is, once we delegate the task that we want to get rid of off our plate, we're going to talk about how are we going to implement the change. Now, as you can see, this is a little bit more complicated because we have me and the office manager that are trying to grow into our new roles. 
but we also have five other staff members that we have to teach how to do everything we've been doing and not do it ourselves. I think that's the biggest trouble that we have is we could do it quicker, we could do it more efficiently in our minds, but when you look at it, doing it that way is not going to let us get to that million dollar mark, not going to allow us to grow and expand and be bigger than we are now. If we want to get to where we're going, we got to stop doing what we're doing right now. So that's a broad overview of my five-step process to make a change or implement something new. Remember, set your goals. What do you want to delegate? Do you have the staff and capability to delegate? Are you willing to make the change? And last, do you have checks and balances? So I kind of told you what we did next week or in the weeks to come. I'm going to tell you how we're implementing the change and what we're doing to set our checks and balances to delegate our responsibilities to grow our office. I'm pretty excited about it. I think if you take this five-step method, you can get everything you want out of your office and you can grow exponentially. So try it. Do it in your office. Let me know how it's going. All right, this is a new segment called the cold start. So essentially, I'm going to give you some of my past experiences that I didn't know when I first started out, and I felt like if I would have known more, which I'm going to try to tell you, I could have done better at the time. So let me start off with frames, all right? I knew I needed to have frames in my office because that's how you sell glasses. I didn't know that every vendor has multiple frame lines. I thought you just called up Liz Claiborne or Kate Spade and talked to that rep. Again, I also didn't know what was hot in my area. The problem that I think a lot of uh, doctors will make is they think that every consumer, every patient is just like them. So I was, in my mind, pretty athletic. I like Nike. I like Ray-Ban. But I didn't know that a lot of people aren't necessarily like me. And then I'm also buying a lot of frames for women. So I had to have some sense of style. Thankfully, I think I did a pretty good job on it. But I really was going in blind. I didn't have an office to have meetings at. So I talked to one of my good friends. He had a roofing company. He had a conference room. I'm like, hey, can I have uh, frame reps come and like present to me at your office? He said, sure, he didn't care. But can you imagine if you're a frame vendor, you're trying to get a new sale, you're going to a roofing office asking for the eye doctor, and it's some casually dressed man in a back room. That was me. That was my experience. So let me break this down for you. I'll kind of explain what you need to know when you're picking out frames for your office. So the first thing is when you're setting your inventory for frames, I was very aggressive. I wanted to have every frame possible. The problem with that mentality is you eat up cash. Frames cost money. All the reps will tell you we'll give you 30, 60, 90, 120 day terms on it, but it's still money spent. And when you first start, you don't know if you have money coming in. So to put all that money into inventory kind of puts you at a disadvantage when you start off. So don't do what I did. Don't buy 500 frames out of the gate. Okay. So what I recommend is three, 250 to 450 frames. Okay. If you have a lot of cash, if you have a little saved up, you can go a little more aggressive. You got to know your market. Okay. So one of the things that I did was Saflo, they have name brands. Juicy Couture, Kate Spade, Liz Claiborne. At the time, they had Armani, they had Gucci. All my best brands, all the name brands came from Saflo. I told them, hey, I'm going to give you 80% of my board. What can you do to give me a discount? So make sure you talk to the reps. They'll give you a good discount. They'll give you good terms. You want to get name brands to start off. Once you get established, you kind of know what your patients are buying. Then you can get off into the niches, get into the generic, the unique stuff. 
But in the meantime, you want to have core and familiarity. The reason for that is patients buy brands they know. When you buy a Nike pair of shoes and you buy a Nike frame, you have a certain expectation of what that Nike means. Same thing with Kate Spade, Liz Claiborne. So make sure you get name brands to start off. Don't get too many. The other thing to realize is the majority of the people buying in your office are women. You have men that buy, but they're worried about functionality, durability. You look at men's frames on my board, and honestly, you can only see so many gunmetal, black, half frames. You don't get too unique with colors. Any design or anything on the temples is actually a deterrent. So they all start looking the same. You might have a few bra bars, a few extra large frames. That's more of the unique stuff you do with men. But with women, you have colors, shape, design. Women's frames are fun. So if you're going to decide how you're going to split the inventory, I'd probably go 66% women, 33% men. Now, again, you're going to factor some of that away because you want a few sunglass frames. You want a few kids' frames. Again, don't go crazy with that. The reason is a lot of kids will start wearing an adult frame, and then kids are not – they're very hard on their glasses. So like a dilly-dally, a uh, – Oh, I forget what they're called. The flexible ones. I have Dilly Dilly brands, so they're a little more flexible. I'd have to look and see what the ones are. But you know the ones I'm talking about that are almost like a plastic. They're indestructible. You want a few of those on your board, but don't go too crazy with the kids' frames because, one, parents don't want to pay a lot because they break them. They can go to Walmart and get frames for the kid or they get them online. You want to get that smaller eye sizes for small women, petite women, and smaller uh, kids, but... Put the most of your effort into women, a little bit of men, a little bit of sons, a little bit of kids' glasses, all right? The other thing is the majority of us will have VSP. The beauty of VSP is they have consignment frames. So they'll give you name brands, BB, Ann Klein, Joe, Joseph Abood for free. They'll give you a bunch of them. You'll fill your inventory. You'll fill the boards, but you won't pay for them until you sell them. That's your best-case scenario. So now you have cash flow. You're paying for them as you buy them, kind of like lenses and such. You don't have a whole bunch of money sitting on your boards collecting dust. So if I have to give you a little bit of advice when you're picking out your frames, look back to what I just said here, but don't go crazy. Try to get more women's than men's. Get a few name brands. Try to get a deal by getting all of your frames initially or the majority through the same group so you get a discount and then try to get consignment frames. I didn't know this. I went a little crazy, got a little lucky. But if I tell you this, hopefully it helps you out in the long run. Make sure you do the best thing possible when you start off your practice cold, and that's save your cash flow. All right, let's talk myopia management, friends. I'm in this weird place right now where every consult, uh, consultant, every uh, guru, every article you read, they said when you're going to start your myopia management practice, you're going to hit this weird point where you're really excited, you have all the information, but in order to implement it, you have to give up time slots that are bringing in revenue, all right? In order for me to do a consultation, I have to give up a exam spot for glasses or contacts. Really hard to do, especially in the middle of a pandemic when you don't know if that cash flow is gonna keep coming. I'll tell you this right now though, you gotta be committed, you gotta go after it. With this, you can wait till things are perfect, but like anything in business, they never will be. Part of this beauty of entrepreneurship, beauty of owning your own practice, beauty of starting something new is you jump off the cliff 
and you figure out a fly on the way down. That's what I've been doing. I've been strategically placing consultations in my scheduler. So right now, uh, at the end of the day, on Wednesday and Thursday, I have consults. I have them early in the morning on Thursdays and Fridays. I don't work too late on Fridays, so I have them in there. But essentially, I'm scheduling my Wednesdays and Thursdays as my consults. Every patient I see, though, that is myopic, if their parent's myopic, I'm having the discussion of what myopia management is. So I'm putting the word out there. In my mind, I'm planting a bunch of seeds that hopefully within the next year, if I see them again, we can say, hey, this is where you were, this is where you're at now, we really need to have that consultation. It's hard to do if I haven't seen them uh, for multiple years. So in my mind, to get into this, I'm planting seeds. A big thing that happened was I got my IOL master. So right now, any child 12 and younger, I'm doing axial length. If they're under four, it's a little bit more difficult. So mainly four to 12, we're measuring axial length. This has a lot of weight with the parent. I can quantify where they're at. Something that I noticed when I was testing this out on my staff is my wife is a minus 650. Her axial length in her left eye is about 26 millimeters. One of my staff members is a minus nine. Her axial length is also 26.1 millimeters. So that was a great realization for me. I use this in the exam room that axial length doesn't necessarily equate to prescription and prescription does not necessarily equate to axial length. So we get this baseline. We want to be between 23 and 26 millimeters, but that's the that's the barometer that we're looking. That's what we're following when we're tracking these patients. I think as I get more of those measurements, it's going to help me start making referrals to my clinics for consultations. Good news is I had a consultation. The patient said, yes, we're starting myopia management next week. I'm pretty excited. It's really cool to see all the hard work that we put in start to translate into actual fruition. We're seeing the, the hard work pay off, if you will. Something that I will tell you is if you're doing anything new, I'm going to speak to what I'm doing here is you want things to be perfect. You spend so much time preparing the handouts, making brochures, getting every specific detail of the presentation packet that you give to the patient figured out. You train your staff how to do it. Guess what? When you get in there, this happened when I first started seeing patients. I'd been a doctor or we've been practicing for how many years at school, saw patients. You get in there, it feels a little different. You have a little adrenaline. You don't want to miss anything. The more you do it, the better you get. Ready, fire, aim. Realize that sometimes you just got to get in there and go after it. You don't want to be to the point where you don't know anything, but if you wait for perfection, you're never going to start. So that's the cool thing I've noticed with starting this practice out, getting some good feedback from my earlier consultations, from my staff when I did it. Get in there, get your hands dirty. It's going to pay off. I'm having fun with it. I'll let you know how this next one goes. Hopefully we keep having more and more patients sign up because we're stopping an epidemic of massive proportions. This is my journey in myopia management. Where or where did that time go? We hit my closing thought. Instead of just giving my closing thought, I'm going to start off by telling a story. So when I started my practice cold, I alluded to this earlier in the cold start segment. I had no idea what I was doing running an office, running a business, but you know what I had? A lot of energy, a lot of ambition. I'm going to tell you this right now. You have 
to know who you're dealing with in terms of your staff. I was a former football player, super energetic, super intense. Literally at the beginning of the first meeting I had with my staff, do you guys know who Cortez is? Essentially, he flew, he sailed to the New World, and then he burnt his ships. He said, we will survive or we're going to die. I started off my talk with talking about Cortez and telling them, I thought about just going out there, burning your cars, and making us stay here until we get this figured out. Came off as a little intense, and I'm not going to lie, I took that intensity and applied it to training. We were learning basically optometry school first year. They were not optometrists. They were not even opticians. And they were like, what is going on here? Are we going to be doing all of this? They don't have to be doctors. One of my colleagues that I was consulting with, he told me that his wife is a surgical tech in hospitals assisting in labor and delivery. And she had no idea what was going on in labor and delivery and she was still helping. What in the world am I doing? And that's what I'm going to tell you. I didn't know, right? Sometimes you just have this energy, this passion, and you're going after it. Thankfully, a few of them stuck with me. We figured it out. But what I learned from that experience is your personality is great for you. It may not be the personality you need to have to manage your staff. What I've learned over the years is my natural inclination is to go balls out, crazy, let's attack this head on. That wears out your staff. That wears out anyone that's not invested in this that is showing up to their job every day. They want to know that they have security, that they know what they're going to do when they get there, and they know when they're going to go home, when they don't have to work. If you ask them to be you, it's not going to work. So I've learned to take a step back, have a layer of separation between my staff members and my intensity, and when I give them information, it's more well thought out, it's also more planned. They can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Think about what I told you in my five-step method. There's a reason I have that method now. is because when I said, this is what we're going to do, we got new information or it wasn't working and I changed it on the fly, they got really discombobulated. And I was a crazy intense guy. So now I'm a little more calm. I try not to get too high or too low in front of them. I still get jacked up when I'm ready to go. But know your audience Know what you're trying to convey to them. Security, a well-thought-out plan, you're a great leader. That intensity that you have, keep it to yourself. Make sure you exude a confident leader. That's what I got for you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. See our website. We'll talk to you later. Have a great week, my friends. Dr. Lily, out. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode and hope that you found a pearl to apply to your practice. We believe as a community, there is much wisdom to be shared. So if you have questions, suggestions, or requests, we want to know. Feel free to reach out to us via social media and leave a comment or email us at theultimateodpodcast at gmail.com so we can make this podcast even better for you. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll catch you again next week.